nice depressing play to watch now. <laughs> yeah, let's watch more Beckett during the, yeah, the whole pandemic. That's oh, exactly geez. what we need. <laughs> it's not what I meant by processing the moment. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances, or lack thereof, in Edmonton. I'm Fonda, and we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Um, so during this whole pandemic deal, it's not only the artists uh, who are holed up and streaming things from their homes. Uh, we theater fans and writers who cover theater are finding ourselves with a lot of time on our hands. Um, and our evenings are now being spent in front of screens and Set of stages and we twiddle our thumbs discussing whether or not to knead the bread dough more. That will make a little bit more sense once you get to the first minute or two of conversation with our guest this week. And Paul is also back for this one too because um, our guest is, um, well, delightful and very irresistible. So he couldn't really help himself. Many of you in Edmonton have been reading her theater reviews and commentary in the Edmonton Journal and in the past few years online at her blog, twelfthnight.ca. Our guest was the last full-time theater writer um, in all of Canada in the post-media chain, and she has been baking a lot of bread lately. So this week, we're digging into that dark hole in our hearts that's been left by all these cancellations, looking at our empty stages that are waiting for us to gather again. And uh, this guest is dear to the hearts of many in the theater community and dear to mine uh, as a mentor and a friend. So now, for your listening pleasure, from the safety of your home Wi-Fi, everyone, um, I will call for applause again in introducing this guest because I miss that physical act of thanks, uh, of appreciation. So please, give it up if that's available to you. It'll make your pets think that you're crazy. Here is our chat with Liz Nichols. Yeah, I made a crumpets the other morning, uh, which was delicious. I'd never made crumpets before, um, but... Uh, this the locked in feel of right now is is pushing me to just be like wait great do we have all the things great i'm gonna make it i don't care if i've never made it before what did you what did you use for the rings um i had some basically cookie cutter rings that uh, i had from school um but yeah they, i could put them on a grill or a, a, a pan and they would heat up and not scar anything and yeah i could pour the batter in so they they shape pro- appropriately so they were a big success. This I'm so impressed. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great. I wish I wish I could offer you one right now, but but oh, here we are. Good too. <laughs> Liz, Liz, Liz Nichols. What are what are you doing lately? What are you baking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I've always been trying to be a bread maker. Slightly out of my time since as soon as people didn't want to eat carbs, I took up bread making. <laughs> so there's something a bit wrong about my timing probably uh the all-carb diet (laughs) but I'm trying I've had a few setbacks lately though that are a little discouraging here in my house so um yeah (laughs) I'm trying to do artisanal 
whole wheats and grains and and uh, uh, they don't always rise brilliantly, which mm-hmm. Paul will have views on this, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> Strong views. Um, uh, one thing that school taught me with, with whole wheat is because there are those little grains, you don't want to knead it too much because those sort of like cut through the gluten you're trying to develop, which helps gives it that structure. Mm-hmm. So as little as little kneading as you can, there are some like no need recipes on there that on the internet that are, are useful in that capacity. Wow, backing off from yeah, from what I think of as being the participation factor. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna try that. Think to try it. See how it works. See how it goes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the three of us are here, you know, um, in our separate homes doing doing not not what we usually do. Um, Liz, most of our listeners already do know um, who you are uh, through your years at the journal and through twelfthnight.ca. Um, so maybe maybe we can all just like talk about like what Liz, what was the last show that you saw before everything got shut down? Oh goodness, I think maybe the children. Well, I went to see the children in Heisenberg, I guess, and Heisenberg got canceled the day after that, the night after that. So that was at Shadow Theater. And when you when you went, because I know Paul, when we went to see the children, um, the pandemic got called that day, uh, and we were kind of like, "Oh, well, should we go? What's what's happening?" And we saw it on a preview night. The opening was the next night. Um, so when you were watching Heisenberg, um, what was sort of the sense in the theater of um, of you know sitting together? What was happening that night? <laughs> Well, it wasn't very together, actually. It was at, it was the second night of the show. Um, and there were not very many people in the Varscona, which I guess, you know, I was sort of happy, to be honest. Um, so I sit usually far back and there were, not, you know, not very many people close by, that's for sure. Did it sort of affect the way that you felt while you were watching the show, like how you felt about the show itself? Actually, I'm sort of used to watching theater under all kinds of circumstances, three people in a in a drafty basement or uh, a crowd. So I I guess that's part of my experience of being, well, an old reviewer um, that I can sort of adjust. But it it, you know. It's not ideal. It doesn't give you that wonderful feeling of, you know, sharing a breath with an audience and sharing every laugh and crying at the same time as the people in the same row. <laughs> yeah. Right. I found with the children, because we'd gone on preview, and yes, as, as, as you said, Fonda, it had sort of just been declared a pandemic that day. Um, it was a pretty small house, uh, which felt um, connected to that. But I found myself very aware of um, so many little things I don't think about in theater usually like I for the first like 15 minutes every time an actor like touched their own face I was acutely aware of that in a way that um, was felt very silly in some ways but it just I was also like right these are the things I'm thinking about and bringing into the space and into the theater and into the show but um, and here are things that they're maybe not thinking about or maybe they they are aren't but um, yeah and that first scene, actually, with the woman entering and with a nosebleed and blood all over her, yeah. and she had they, there had been a collision at the door. It was that sort of proximity. I mean, it was to do with radiation sickness in um, 
in the children, but it it felt very dangerous indeed. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, Paul. It also sort of made you think, made me think a little bit more about even just how many points of contact you go through when you go to a show. Um, you know, there's someone who hands you a ticket, someone who hands you, you know, like even your your glass of wine or whatever, someone who rips your ticket. You are actually making a lot more contact with people, even more so than you would in a grocery store, I think. Um, so there was that just the calling to, you know, it called up the attention of just like, wow, this is, and you know, and yes, like normally you actually even sit farther from your partner at home or in a car, um, than you sit next to someone in a, in a, in a live theater space. Uh, if it, if it's sold out, I guess, if it's packed. Yeah. At every, at every step of the theater experience is, well, about connectivity, I guess. There is somebody, I always have a discussion with the person taking the ticket, or frequently, and at just at every stage of going into the theater and sharing a room with the actors, you are <clears throat> sharing views and all of that, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a human contact uh, art form, that's for sure. And so, well, now, what are what are you up to now? You've spent, you know, uh, like the better part of three decades going going and reviewing shows more than more than twice a week, even. So, so what is um what are you doing now? What is even Twelfth Night that uh, your website look like now? Well, I'm trying to um, I'm trying to sort of switch gears into feature writing and to just to remind people that that theater isn't hasn't vanished it hasn't disappeared um that it's simply on hold uh until we can all get together be together again um and i'm i mean the hope with the hope i guess the unwritten hope that it just makes people the weirdness of, and surreality of Edmonton without its theater makes will make people realize just how much how precious it is to live in a in a place that has such a rich industry such a rich resource on a good day i think that way <laughs> mm-hmm. and we've all we, and we've all had days that are not so great lately i'm sure mm-hmm. too exactly yeah for you too i'm fonda and paul i mean what paul you're at school fonda what's what's life like um doing listings consisting largely of what's not happening <laughs> yeah, I it's um you know when you when you're doing writing about uh like writing say even the arts taproot or, or the taproot arts roundup for that's supposed to let people know about what's happening um mostly it's now just links to things that people are streaming or um resources for artists about um grants and and money issues and things like that um but also I have a festival in the fall that I'm trying to figure out whether or not is actually going to happen uh and that's um and that's a kind of a precarious thing to be in I heard I heard from the grapevine today I don't know how true it was that the Edinburgh fringe might shut down this year so wow that's a thing and that's the start of August yeah it's even I like I feel to a certain extent, like that no one's really clear on the timeline of this yet, um, mm-hmm. which lends itself to, yeah, like uh, I've seen now 
concerts rescheduled for certain dates, but it's like, ooh, is even that date going to happen? And yeah, I'm, I'm in school, but it's gone online, um, which is for a culinary program, not the most effective way to learn. We're mostly doing the theory side of it. And the idea is we'll get do the missing com- kitchen component um, in the fall. Um, but one thing I found really interesting in, in all of this and in, in theater and performance, um, everyone is sort of moving online and trying to figure out Zoom and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's this really interesting sense of um, uh, borders that you exist by location, by where we are, are sort of like not always the case now. You could do a Zoom um, reading of something with people across the country. You could take a course if someone is offering a course from someone in Vancouver or in Halifax or in Toronto. Um, on one hand, like we are all in our little safe pods um, in our houses or our apartments or wherever we stay. But there's this really interesting um, sense of the things that are going on have the potential to reach different sorts of people and different sorts of audiences than they would if they were regionally staged. Ah, that's, well, that it, that's a kind of um, uh, a positive and sort of national and international sense that that is, you know, a little bit sustaining in this hiatus, I think. Or do, are you finding that so? Yeah, I think um, what I'm finding is I'm trying to be more aware of, of that sort of thing. So a friend who lives in Winnipeg was in a play that was um, postponed or canceled, um, but they're doing a reading of it tonight. Um, and it was a play that sounded very interesting. And I think my friend is great. Um, and so I'm going to tune into that reading. Um, and the show that was like previously unaccessible to me outside of like, uh, like a, a, a nice note of like happy opening or whatever, um, I can actually get a bit more of a sense of, which is definitely like trying to find the silver lining on, on not going too far away from my house these days. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to see where that goes and, and what it is like to watch art through a screen that is normally not through a screen. Yeah. In one way it, it makes you really appreciate the fullness of the live experience in another way. It, it really makes you appreciate great videography too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I noticed I was watching, um, a play called live on the guardian, um, uh, website and Mm -hmm. it, it was at Hampstead Theatre. It, it was in production. And so they just wanted to share it because they could, you know, and that was the only thing they could do with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it, it's, it's a, you know, interesting design and all of that. And it, w- it was fascinating to me. I wouldn't have gotten to see it at all, as you say, Paul, but um, it also, it makes you realize there's something kind of, spe- there's a special luster about, <laughs> about liveness that yeah. if you, you know, you sort of think, oh, well, I can watch, I can watch versions. I can watch screen versions of theater. And in a way, yeah, you can, and in a way, nope, you can't. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's definitely not the same. I know I have um, sort of like a consistent personal complaint about how dance gets filmed. Uh, and it is just, it is, it's just not the same watching movement um, uh, unless you have someone who really understands how to 
um, how to film it. And I think um, one of the more recent episodes that we did, Paul, I guess, was going to see Cunningham, the documentary. Um, mm-hmm. And there was some great dance up footage in that. And, you know, you get to see the whole body and things. But um, one of the things about this streaming stuff now uh, is that there's there's so much happening. There's so much out there. And a lot of it is 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 short and sweet and, and uh, interesting. But also, like, a lot of it is really just done, like, with, like, someone turning their phone on and off for each sort of, like, clip of a, <laughs> of a scene. Um, and so, you know, some people are getting pretty creative with it, I think. Um, one of my favorite things that I saw online just in the last couple of days was uh, part of the Citadel Stuck in the House series with mm-hmm. Luke, Luke Tellier did the the yeah. whole refrain from cats yeah <laughs> right. every character that was that was like brilliant i loved it <laughs> yeah i think um, there's something to figuring out how do the best the most effective ways to work in that medium when there is a screen behind you and, and your audience and um it seems to be to try and find those ways to be cinematic or theatrical um luke's video had a lot of camera angles and and um costume changes and and uh felt well produced um which um uh yeah as as sort of has already come up like um the things we're seeing and as people figure out zoom we're trying to figure out uh what they can do online um runs the gamut of people who are just like turn on their phone turn it off or people who are trying to figure out ways to be a little more ambitious with the production of it or have those skills already that I it, I was interested in. Uh, have you watched uh, the Dynasty uh, re well reboot um, on I think Zoom? Anyway, they do it as a live radio play, and it is actually a lot of fun. All the players are in different houses. I mean, who would have thought? I wouldn't have thought <laughs> that um, improv would work in in that way. Um, but it has a kind of craziness about it that is perfectly apropos. Great. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the cast of dynasty is like, you know, like, like 18 or 20 people. And I, I did watch a little bit of the, I think it was their second episode. Um, and one of the, one of the prompts actually was even, if you want to see how we made it turn on the video, otherwise you can just listen to it as the radio show, which works just fine. Um, but so watching the video, it has like that whole kind of like Brady Bunch effect where it's like all of these little cubes of people talking to each other and they kind of try and ham it up to like knowing what they must look like in that space. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. It, it sort of emphasizes the well, the improbable skill set of these deluxe improvisers. Well, like you, Paul, um, it's not, it doesn't seem possible to the lay person such as myself that they can actually, you know, sustain and propel a narrative in the way that they do. And so it's, it's impressive. Yeah. I think it becomes its own. It's about working within the the confines of, of the situation. And it seems like, um, certain programs are, are easier to sort of find those games or that pace or that that back and forth without too much, uh, you know, delay or lag or those things that would sort of throw off um, throw off the recording. 
Paul, what what sorts of things have you been posting online? Because uh, I think I, I I only saw the Gatsby one, but that was pretty great. <laughs> great, thank you. I, I just writing some sketch comedy from the confines of my house, and that's part of it. Is like, okay, well, what can I do here? Um, I'm not a cinematographer. I have my phone um, and some prop type things. Some of which would translate to a video, and some of which wouldn't. Um, yeah, but I think it's been interesting, like, uh, has, has come up, I'm in the improv community. Um, and it's been interesting to see like other, other improv communities and how they've sort of reacted. Um, there's a company called Blind Tiger in Vancouver who are a comedy school, but it's people like Amy Shostak, um, and Tom Hill and Devin McKenzie of HitBang who've toured the fringe and, um, they've quite quickly sort of pivoted to figuring out zoom and figuring out how the, how they can teach and do shows online. Um, and there's a company called magnet theater in New York city and much the same. They're trying to, they have, were right from the get go, perhaps out of necessity of, of paying the bills, um, but have sort of immediately pivoted to figuring out um, ways to be effective um, given the confines of, of being on screens, but also how can you do a 10 person improv show um, on screens? They are finding ways to, to do this. Mm-hmm. Liz, is there anything online that you've seen that's been particularly good that you might recommend that we hunt down? Um, well, I've been tr- I've been trying to sort of follow a, a, vari- a variety of art forms to see you know to see the differences in in effectiveness, I guess. Um, but I am looking forward to the National Theater's live streaming of uh, well. They're dipping into their their really fantastic archive. Um, we've seen them on the big screen, things like One Man, Two Governors, and um, uh, Pride and Prejudice. And uh, now they are making that archive available every Thursday night at 730. Great. <laughs> So, um, and those are very, very high quality, many cameras, uh, you know, um, I learned something from the fringe artist Chase Paget, mm-hmm. who is uh, has videos of various fringe productions that he is selling tickets to and giving the, and, and making sure that the money goes to the artists in very mm-hmm. fringe like fashion. Um, and he said that he thinks sound is the biggest downfall of um, the two D experience. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, partly maybe because he's a musician, but he said, you know, really high quality involves multiple cameras and it involves very, uh, a lot of expertise in, in the oral dimension. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've learned something from him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see what, um, because he's released fringe, the, the digital fringe version or, or week one or version one. And then there's going to be more shows, uh, released as he, as he gets more, um, access and more copies, I guess, from other artists. So that was a very cool idea because Paget is kind of one of the only ones who I feel has monetized this online access in a, in a really smart way. Like you, mm-hmm. you actually can just go and pay and watch the show. Um, whereas a lot of all the other streaming and everything like that, it, it all is going for free. And yes, you know, the Citadel is saying, yeah, you can donate to the artists if you click here for the stuck in the house series. But um, I don't know how many people are really doing that, you know, for, for like a, a, you know, a five or six minute video. Right. 
Yeah. No, I, yeah, I thought the fringe idea was pretty good. And it's not, it's not starting with the most complicated productions either, because by definition, you know, the set uh, isn't, isn't of prime importance. It's the actor. Um, and it's a, it's a great test case for, I guess, intimacy, really. Yeah. Yeah. And can you find that, that same sort of intimacy that I think is like one of the appeals of, of theater, we go to the theater to like, see revelations in these things that in our lives are happening all around us, but we're not privy to, uh, but theater sort of gives us those moments and lets us be that fly on the wall to experience these things. And it'll, yeah, it's interesting to see uh, if it can capture that same intimacy with some sort of consistency as this goes on um, and, and people start to adapt more and more to this um, and what that looks like and how that feeling can come through a screen. And and maybe maybe Chase is right. Maybe it's if the audio is crisp, that's sort of one of those many many keys um, that to doing that, um, you know. And if the the video quality is good, that's another thing. And if it's a multi camera shoot, you know, and it feels almost like a movie, maybe that's another thing. But yeah, it's interesting. If there's if there's anyone who can save us in this time of like lo fi DIY, everyone just trying to make do, it's got to be a fringe artist, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, so Liz, a little earlier on, you said something about how um, live theater is really part of an Edmonton identity. Um, and I wonder what you think maybe what Edmonton theater is going to look like maybe coming out of this. Or I know that you've talked to Northern Light and Shadow about their their planned seasons next year. Um, what, what, do, what do you think it looks like on the other side for, for YEG theater? Well, I think that... that- I mean, there have been really pretty ruinous financial losses amongst arts groups. Really, this is this is just because they they are so they are positioned so close to the bone in the first place. I mean, it takes theater artists are just experts at making a lot out of a little, and when that little shrinks, um, I you know I think it'll take a while to recover financially and I I wonder um I've been trying to look forward to next season but I wonder if the the size and scope of productions uh will be affected really by kind of losses I mean the Citadel um Daryl Klorn at the Citadel said he the Citadel will come will lose about a million dollars from the Garno block and uh, Peter Pan goes wrong. And he is determined that those shows will go on eventually. But that kind of, that's a hard loss to sustain in a company with a budget of $12 million um, without making adjustments in your plans, really. Shadow is down to three shows. Um, I wonder. Um, at Northern Light, Trevor... Schmidt has said that he um, will not the the upcoming season will not be affected, but his shows are tend to be a bit smaller um, in cast size and so on. Um, so that's great, um, but i I do fear um, I do fear for arts groups that having to adjust their their plans yet further. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been a lot of responsiveness from the granting agencies that, you know, um, that these are incredibly strange um, and unexpected circumstances. And I think that the grant money will probably for at least operationally um, be sustained for, for companies, but it's that loss of box office, the loss of mm-hmm. um, pretty much a- entire industry around it. I was even thinking about, um, you know, the advertisers that would buy, that would spend money buying ads in the program. Um, because restaurants can't even do that anymore. Restaurants will also be decimated by this. Um, and just, you know, thinking about like what, like what a night out at the theater will look like without, with all of these industries being so impacted for, you know, the better part of a year by the time we get back to some kind of normal. Um, and, and then also just the public, um, the public desire to, to gather, um, and, and see what, uh, see how that kind of turns around too. Like as an event planner, I'm also trying to trying to think of that and and what what maybe we'd have to respond to in that way too. So I guess it depends, sort of, because the word postponement has kind of lost its meaning. Usually, it means well, we're delaying it until <laughs> a, this new date. Mm-hmm. But without a new date, I, I don't know. The word just gets. Um, pretty smudgy around the edges. Um, and so it, I, it also depends a little bit on how long, how temporary this will feel to audiences, or if it feels, as you said, kind of like, kind of like a permanent state of affairs or a kind of a, a nagging perpetual anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't, it's very hard to predict. Yeah. Anyone, anyone want to make bets on if the Edmonton Fringe is going to make it? Is it going to happen this year? No. I don't know, but I bet the next Fringe Festival that happens has at least at least several one-person shows about what someone did during the quarantine, uh, <laughs> during their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought um, um, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, uh, the musician Nick Cave, um, the Australian musician, um, for about a year has been for a couple of years now has been doing this website called the red hand files where people can just ask him questions. There's no moderator. He answers whichever ones he wants to. Um, but people have been asking him about, um, if Nick cave in the bad seeds will do anything, if there's going to live stream a concert. And he had this really thoughtful response thinking about how he has always sort of created, especially in times of trouble in his own life. And, um, that has been his way of processing things. But um, right now he's sort of trying to take a step back and and think more about maybe just paying attention and trying to do less, less making something in this moment and more trying to process what this moment is and think about, um, to quote from it, um, what we as artists are for and to try and think about what the, what the function of an artist is in, in a moment like this and whether it's to do something immediately or if it's to take that in and sort of see how that reflects and, and what comes out the other side. Uh, and obviously that's a highfalutin thing. Um, you know, there are lots of artists who financially need work and, and need to have support um, to, to survive as artists um, and do that. But it's an interesting thought of like, we often think about, well, what am I going to do about this right now? And maybe the answer is to like, Maybe it's just to sit with it and to try and process that and, and see what emerges rather than trying to focus, force anything to happen now because of the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, to go back to... Excellent. Oh, sorry. Excellent point, really. Um, 
the time for reflection. Um, and you, you notice it, it's the two, the double tension, um, in performance art between spontaneity and, uh, well, for want of a better term, letting it soak in mm-hmm. <laughs> and reflect it. Is it supposed to, should art be both proactive and reflective? I mean, questions like that. Um, most most artists don't really have a chance or the necessity <laughs> to um, to think about that and just see how they react and experiment with it. Um, the fringe is meant to be uh, that kind of experimentation, but quite often it, there are financial imperatives as well, mm-hmm. as you point out. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it's all, it, it, like you said earlier, Liz, it all feels a little bit up in the air. Postponement doesn't seem like quite the right term to even be able to use. Uh, knowing, knowing even that, you know, many artists have their contracts over a year laid out in advance, even two years. Um, so to, to, you know, have just like a very big sort of definite chunk cut out and everything else in the future, uh, kind of, um, uh, on hold or on pause is, is it's gotta be like, it's gotta be really, um, really unsettling for, for so many artists. And I think that, yeah, I mean, as, as someone who really misses it and misses just like being able to kind of go out and experience things and, you know, sit in the dark, um, with, with other, with, with humanity, it, like, it, you know, this, this just sucks. I'm just going to yeah. say it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, for so many people everywhere, it's like, whether you were on the audience side of that or the performer side of that, something about that connection um, matters, matters a lot, you know, even in uh, just trying to engage, it's about uh, that empathy of engaging with someone else's idea as channeled through actors on a stage, um, that is, uh, you know, is, is some of the best thinking I feel like I do in my life is, is in watching art. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's absence is noted. And I'm also trying to take time to like process what that means and, and what that, um, where that goes and why that was so important to me. It's enlivening, makes you feel alive. Yeah. And I, this will sound negative, but the reasons to live in Edmonton are not unlimited, theater is way high up on a on a not infinite list mm-hmm. um in, in fact okay let's just call theater number one and uh be done with it um it it gives it it makes it possible it makes it delightful to live here and um you certainly miss it when it's not coming at you <laughs> With PodPower, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a PodPower shout-out to the Alberta Queer Calendar Project. The Alberta Queer Calendar Project features monthly podcast dramas by queer Albertan writers throughout 2020. Episodes are released monthly and are free to access wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and learn more about the Alberta Queer Calendar, presented by Cardiac Theatre in partnership with What It Is Productions at queercalendar.ca. 
This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space located in the historic McKinney Building in downtown Edmonton and is focused on helping people pursue their passions. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. Along with desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio, meeting spaces, kitchen, Wi-Fi, and the usual amenities. Book a tour today at unitb.com. So, of course, there's nothing happening live, so I don't have listings to share per se, other than um, some of the live links or the links that we shared last week for things that you can watch online. Um, But there are some news items in the theater world that I thought I would kind of share. So since our interview with Liz Nichols, um, the Edinburgh Fringe did get canceled. uh, And that will be felt around the world. There was an interesting article in The Guardian um, about how uh, the international theater community will really um, uh, be affected by that. Uh, So we'll share that link online. And last week when I talked um, with Ben Gorodetsky, I mentioned the Wooster Group in Brooklyn. Um, And you can actually watch the Hamlet that they did at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2013. And it reimagines the Shakespeare tragedy by channeling the ghost of Richard Burton um, in his legendary 1964 performance of Hamlet. So, And you can see that production free online, actually, until April 7th. So we'll share the link for that as well. Um, And Gia Corliss, the dance critic for the New York Times, um, wrote an interesting piece on how we navigate the pandemic with our bodies. Um, And hint, it's a dance. Uh, So I'll share that link. And I quite enjoyed some of the video of uh, New Yorkers practicing social distancing that came along with that piece. Uh, So we'll have links for all of these um, articles and a bunch of the shows that you can watch online, as well as to Liz Nichols' blog, which is twelfthnight.ca. Thank you again so much to our friend Liz for talking to us today. Um, go see some shows, everyone, from the safety of your of your homes online. And, of course, if you can, send those artists a donation. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinoff. <laughs>